Hi, I'm Talia Baroncelli, and you're watching TheAnalysis.News. I'll shortly be joined by Dr. Trita Parsi to speak about Israel's ongoing bombardment of the Gaza Strip, as well as the U.S. and U.K.'s unlawful attacks on Yemen. We really can't make the show without you, so we're thankful for all of your contributions. You can make a donation by going to our website, theanalysis.news, and hitting the donate button at the top right corner of the screen. Make sure you get onto our mailing list and like and subscribe to the show wherever you watch or listen to the show, be it on YouTube or on podcast streaming services such as Apple or Spotify. See you in a bit with Trita Parsi. At the World Economic Forum, New York Times opinion columnist Thomas Friedman spoke to Secretary of State Antony Blinken about the death toll in Gaza. He asked Blinken about whether Jewish lives matter more than Palestinian and Muslim lives, Muslim and Palestinian Christian lives, given the incredible asymmetry and casualties. Blinken emphatically responded, no, period. For me, I think for so many of us, what we're seeing every single day in Gaza is gut-wrenching. And the suffering we're seeing among innocent men, women, and children breaks my heart. The question is, what is to be done? Well, most people would say you don't need to look too far for an answer to that question. Namely, that an immediate ceasefire is needed in the Gaza Strip, as well as a facilitation of extensive humanitarian aid and a release of all the Israeli hostages held by Hamas. The release of Palestinians in so-called administrative detention which amounts to being taken hostage, is also required, as argued by Knesset member Dr. Ofer Kassif. The IDF's bombardment of Palestinian civilians, however, has not been successful in getting the hostages released, yet it has been successful in inflicting more death and destruction over just a few-week period in Gaza than the Allied bombing of Dresden wrought in a two-year period. South Africa's historic plea for interim measures at the International Court of Justice to halt Israel's violations of its obligations under the 1948 Genocide Convention, extensively document the killing and starvation of Palestinians, as well as statements made by Israeli officials which clearly express their genocidal intent. One of South Africa's lawyers referred to a statement made by the World Food Program's chief economist, Arif Hussain, in which he said, I've been doing this for the past two decades, and for me the situation in Gaza is unprecedented. He concluded that he had never seen anything like this in terms of severity, in terms of scale, and in terms of speed. I'll point to an additional comment made by Blinken in that World Economic Forum interview, which I believe is quite revealing of the U.S.'s hegemonic mindset, and I quote, We know if we are not engaged, if we are not leading, then when one of two things. Either someone else is, and just from a perspective of an American, that probably means that that's going to happen in a way that may not reflect our own interests and values, or even worse, maybe no one is, and then you've got a vacuum. Joining me now is Trita Parsi, the Executive Vice President at the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you. Well, let's start off with the recent unlawful strikes on Yemen. The U.S. and U.K. have both launched strikes on Yemen to damage anti-ballistic missile launchers as well as drone capabilities in Yemen in order to prevent the Houthis from launching attacks on commercial vessels in the Red Sea. And Admiral John Kirby from the National Security Council has said that these strikes in no way serve as an escalation, that they are proportionate, 
Similarly, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has said that strikes are necessary and that these strikes uh, were conducted in self-defense in order to preserve the integrity of British vessels and the British economy. Most strikingly, he said that the Houthi attacks have nothing to do with Israel's bombardment of Gaza, even though the Houthis themselves have explicitly said that they would stop their attacks if there were to be a ceasefire in Gaza. So is the U.S. and U.K. leadership deliberately trying to mislead the public here as to the reasons for the Houthi attacks? You're quite right. I mean, this is this is just patently false. And I think from their standpoint, they have to come up with these lies because otherwise people will start asking, but hold on. If the objective is to open up the sea waves and make sure that there are no attacks against shipping, then there was a diplomatic option, which was to go for a ceasefire, which incidentally serves U.S. interests even better. But you didn't do that. You didn't even try that. Immediately you went for a military action, which means that not only are you going for an approach that is far less likely to be successful, far more likely to be counterproductive, but when you say that war is the option of last resort, you first have to exhaust diplomacy. Well, you just made a mockery of that because you didn't try diplomacy and you went for military actions as the first resort. And I think if you take a look at how mainstream media has covered this, up until just a few days ago, the vast majority of them didn't even mention that the Houthi demand was a ceasefire. It just made it look as if the Houthis are doing this because they're just evil and they hate us for, for who we are and all that kind of nonsense. Which means that, you know, it's not as if the media had to endorse a ceasefire. They should certainly have scrutinized as to whether the Houthis would live up to a ceasefire but they were actually depriving the public from knowledge that that was their demand and knowledge that there may be an option to actually calm down the situation in the Red Sea through a ceasefire. At least the public have a right to know that that's an option, whether that's the option they should go for, whether there's problems with the option, that's a different story. But its existence should be something that the media should report. Instead, they were actually hiding it. And then that certainly serves the administration because a narrative was created. I mean, New York Times wrote that, you know, uh, Biden felt that he had no choice. His hands were tied. Absolutely not. He tied his own hands. And on top of that, it's been utterly counterproductive because once the U.S. started shooting at the Houthis, first of all, Houthi attacks have now intensified. They're happening more often than they did before. Also, the Houthis were not attacking American ships before. Now they are. But he also meant that the temperature in the region just went up and it made it actually more easy. It, the, the, the blockade of the Red Sea became more effective because less ships are now willing to travel through the Red Sea because there's a shooting war between the U.S. and the Houthis. So he actually serves the Houthi purpose of closing down the straits. And now the administration doesn't have an exit plan on how to get out of this. It's a huge mistake in my view, counterproductive. Um, and completely counters what the administration says that he wants and that it's seeking, which is a de-escalation. Right. And of course, there's so much seaborne oil trade, which goes through the Red Sea. And I believe Shell and some other companies have said that they're not going to send their commercial vessels through the Red Sea. So it doesn't make any sense for the U.S. to continue these attacks, thinking that global trade would just resume by them initiating a few attacks and that they wouldn't actually have to continue or, or uh, conduct additional attacks. I mean, this just seems to set up 
the playing field for further attacks, doesn't it? It, it certainly does, because the idea that a few strikes would deter the Houthis, I mean, the Saudis were bombing the Houthis with the U.S.'s help for eight years without succeeding. So the idea that a few strikes would get the Houthis to back off was, of course, nonsensical at the outset. If you then have to completely degrade their capacity, then we're talking about a major, major military operation, much more than taking out a couple of satellites and, and you know, uh, launching pads, etc. And, and then we're talking about, a, you know, essentially a major war there. So again, this makes no sense, but it fits the pattern of what the Biden administration has done, which is to look at every possible avenue, every option, except the most obvious one, which is to go for a ceasefire. And what do you make of this current administration's contempt for Congress? Because Article 1 of the Constitution says that you need to get authorization for Congress in order to launch attacks or to use force. And clearly, they haven't done that here. And some experts are saying, oh, you know, this is a very exceptional circumstance, which doesn't require that the War Powers Act uh, be followed and that Congress is consulted on this because this is an instance of imminent of an imminent threat to United States national security. So, I mean, that's complete nonsense here because you can't introduce vessels into an area where they're increasing attacks and hostilities. And, and then if that vessel happens to be hit, then say, oh, like this is an instance of uh, national security. We need to get involved and bypass Congress. And then on top of that, again, there were no attacks against U.S. ships, uh, which would be different if there had been then at least there would be a basis for saying self-defense, but that wasn't the case. Um, and I think, you know, uh, in that sense, the administration here is not different from previous ones who have, with comfort, bypassed Congress. And it's really up to Congress to assert itself and assert its authority. And there's a few members that are trying hard to do so, both on the Republican and on the Democratic side, Tom Massey, um, uh, Rokana, of course, on the Democratic side. But so far, not the type of a majority that is needed to actually rebalance the relationship between Congress and the executive branch and make it as it was supposed to be according to the Constitution. Well, let's turn back to the issue that's on everyone's minds right now, that being Israel's ongoing ethnic cleansing and bombardment of the Palestinians. And of course, we saw South Africa present a very convincing case against Israel at the ICJ arguing that it is plausible that Israel is, a, is in violation of its obligations under the 1948 Genocide Convention and that acts leading to genocide are currently taking place. We won't go into the details of that case, but there have been other calls for transparency in the U.S. Incidentally, Senator Bernie Sanders, who has not called for a ceasefire, but he's been calling for more transparency and an investigation on the ground, has been rebuked his recent resolution, which would um, look into whether human rights violations are being committed as a result of or, or tied to weapons supplied by the U.S. to Israel. And this resolution was rejected in the Senate. Um, Admiral John Kirby also said that, you know, this investigation wouldn't even be necessary as Israel will soon be scaling back its operation in the Gaza Strip. But it's really hard to believe that given Prime Minister Netanyahu's recent admission that he would not support the creation 
of a Palestinian state, that he wouldn't support any sort of pathway toward the creation of a two-state solution, and that the IDF would not be uh, scaling back its operations in the Gaza Strip. So can we really rely on the Biden administration here to do anything towards enacting a ceasefire? I think the Biden administration certainly can do something, but it so far has chosen not to. It has chosen to let the Israelis lead, and the Israelis under Netanyahu do not have an interest to create a Palestinian state. They flat out reject it. Uh, and Netanyahu has no interest in ending the war. He wants to drag it out as long as possible because the minute the war ends, his political career ends. And the Biden administration essentially signed up for the Israeli plan before even knowing what it was. That's a major mistake. So the Israelis don't have an exit strategy. In some aspects, their strategy is not to have an exit. And the U.S. is now bound up in it because the Biden administration has chosen not to assert its own uh, independence. At some point, I think we'll be forced to do so and it will become even more costly than it would have been had it done so from the very beginning. Well, what do you make then in light of, of Netanyahu's statements? What, what do you make of this recent um, purported Arab League plan, which the Financial Times was reporting on, saying that you know Arab League countries have been trying to negotiate a ceasefire, the release of hostages, as well as the establishment of a Palestinian state in re in return for normalization with Israel. I mean, is this just something that's a pipe dream right now? I think it is. I mean, look, anything that doesn't create a Palestinian state, a viable Palestinian state, not, you know, whatever the American side has proposed so far, which is far less than an actual state, anything that is going in that direction is either not going to work immediately or it actually will make the situation worse in the long run. I mean, take a look at what has happened here. Um, this whole thing is partly a result of the fact that the United States under Trump signed on to Netanyahu's vision and analysis, which was the Palestinians no longer matter. Instead, let's do normalization deals with other Arab states, get economic links with them, create an anti-Iran coalition, and the Palestinians will just throw some money at them, but you know they're not going to have independence, but they're going to have a higher standard of living. In essence, we're moving beyond the Palestinian issue. Well, the signal that sent to the Palestinians is that decades of diplomatic efforts, recognizing Israel, all of these things never actually amounted to anything. The Israelis blocked it. Netanyahu has been bragging how he is the one who stopped the Palestinian state. And on top of that, now you have the United States signing on to that and say, yeah, you know what? Let's not, we'll continue to talk about a Stutzi solution. But in reality, we're pushing for direct air, uh, uh, flights between uh, Ben Gurion Airport and Dubai because apparently that's more important. At some point, many of us warned, this would cause the Palestinians to return back to violence. How it would happen, when it would happen, no one knew. But it didn't take a genius to figure out that you cannot expect that a population, a people will indefinitely live under occupation and that that will all be fine and manageable and will not lead to tensions and violence. Unfortunately, that has now happened. And the lesson the administration has drawn from it is the opposite. Instead of recognizing that it was a driving force for this violence, they are concluding, as Biden himself has said, that this attack happened because Biden was about to create peace, which is complete nonsense. Direct flights between Israel and Dubai or Israel and, and Riyadh is not peace. Peace is to actually make sure that these Palestinians have a state of their own, and as a result, 
there isn't any conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians. That's the real standard for peace. But the American side has long given up on that, and I think that's fine. But it also then means the United States should step aside and let others lead an effort to bring about peace, rather than the U.S. insisting on its new re renewed definition of peace, which has nothing to do with very quick question before you have to go. The IDF chief of staff, Halevi, has said that it's probably more likely now that Israel will have to wage a war on a second front um, against Hezbollah in Lebanon. Do you see that happening? The Israelis have been looking to attack uh, Lebanon from the very beginning. Their conclusion has been that it is now intolerable for them to live next to Hezbollah. They thought they could live next to Hamas. Uh, they couldn't. Hamas attacked. It was much worse than they expected. And since Hezbollah is much more powerful, they were very worried that in the future there might be a similar type of attack by Hezbollah. And as a result, instead of managing a threat, they're concluding that they have to eliminate the threat. So from the very beginning, they were looking to go into Hezbollah, uh, into Lebanon. And uh, apparently the Biden administration put a stop to it early on. But it seems like we're back to square one. Israelis are looking at it. Increasingly, I'm hearing people in Washington saying that there will be an attack on Lebanon. It's just not clear when. It's a matter of logistics, not a matter of decision. Um, and it, it creates a very bizarre situation because the U.S. side itself says that Hezbollah is not looking for an escalation. Iran is not looking for escalation. But Israel is looking for an escalation. And then the U.S.'s response is, let's put pressure on Iran and Hezbollah to not escalate, the ones that, according to the U.S.'s own assessment, are not looking for an escalation, instead of putting pressure on Israel, which is looking for an escalation, according to the U.S.'s own analysis. It's as bizarre as it can get. Yeah, and it seems like the U.S. is completely unwilling to actually put its money where its mouth is and to exercise some form of leverage in the form of policies, which would withhold aid and withhold weapons from Israel in order to affect some sort of policy change and bring about a ceasefire. And, and I have to say, a ceasefire would be in the U.S.'s interest because it would pacify the Israeli-Lebanese border. It would stop the attacks by the Iraqi militias against U.S. troops. It would stop, most likely, the attacks by the Houthis and the Red Sea. It would release, win the release of the Israeli hostages held by Hamas. And it would stop the carnage in Gaza and it would eliminate the risk of a regional escalation. All of those things are in the U.S.'s interest. There's only one move that actually can achieve it, and that's a ceasefire. And again, it's the one move that the Biden administration is doing everything they can to avoid. Chuda Parsi, thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for watching TheAnalysis.News. Feel free to support us by going to our website, TheAnalysis.News, and hitting the donate button at the top right corner of the screen. See you next time.